0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huynh of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends, Sean Walker of Simpleco. Say hi, Sean. Hey, guys. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Say hi, Guy. Hello. Hey. This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank our newest patrons, David McKenzie of DSM Woodworking, and Joel Israel. If you'd like to show your support, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash if you'd like to show your support. So let's get right into it. Guy, what is your first question?
1: All right. The first question is from Anthony. And we've covered this before in previous podcasts, but we're going to cover it again. And uh, just because, why not? Sure. It says high, It actually says hi guy, not mm-hmm. high guys. It says hi guy. I modified that to make you feel better. <laughs> Thanks. I have a question about the Festool Capex. I'm about to purchase a new miter saw, and I'm between the Capex or the Bosch glider. The only concern I have are some of the comments about the handle shape on the Capex. Since you use it, I'd like your opinion. It's expensive, and I want to be sure it's worth it. Excuse me. I really would really like to precision miter saw. Thanks. And uh love the show, Anthony. Well, the, 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 handle, if people are not familiar with the Capex, it's, it's an ambidextrous handle and it's basically just straight up and down. There's two buttons on it. There's one that actually releases the saw to cut into the wood. And then there's one that powers the blade. At first, Yes, it was kind of weird, but now it's second nature. I, I don't see the big deal at all. And and the people that complain about the shape of the handle, you know, I, I think there are people that just like to complain about stuff for no apparent reason, other than, you know, I don't like the handle. <laughs> so as far as the precision of it. You know, I've, I've owned a lot of different miter saws and it's the only one I've ever owned that will actually cut or make precision cuts. I mean, I've made picture frames using the, that thing before it's that accurate. It doesn't flex or there are, I shouldn't say there, I should say there's no deflection to it at all. Mm. Um, all the controls work really well. I haven't had any issues at all whatsoever. And another reason I took this question, because I know, Hui, you've owned the Bosch Glider, correct? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bosch Glider was a good
0: saw, but there was an issue with it. And I did have to get warranty service done on it. And it, the warranty service did correct the issue that was with the Bosch Glider. Uh, but in respect with respect to the handle because I've used the handle both on the Bosch glider and the capex I actually think that the handle on the capex is more comfortable and the reason is because when I'm making the cut with the Bosch glider the way the handle is it's canted off to the right because you know I guess a majority of people are right-handed, right-handed so so they put it off to the right now you can use your left hand with it because the thumb the thumb depression on the Bosch glider, is on both sides, the right and the left side of the handle, the safety trigger. But it feels a little bit weird to have the handle on the right side. And it's just about the orientation of where you are with respect to the saw blade and sighting down the saw blade.
1: There's sometimes I use my left hand on the saw. Yeah, exactly. And it's just as comfortable.
0: Right, but using the left hand with the saw handle canted over to the right side is a little talking bit weird uh, on the Bosch. Exactly. Of course it is. It's designed for a
2: right-handed person. Correct. Yep. Sean, what do you have? I have the Hitachi, which is somewhat similar, I guess, to the Festool. It's the, the trigger handle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing I've only used the Capex once and it was when I was at your house guy. And okay. immediately I noticed exactly what Anthony's talking about. It's, it's, it's a very weird experience to use it. Uh-huh. But, I mean, I could definitely see getting used to it, I guess with the the two buttons or whatever the button and the trigger yeah. I found that a bit odd. Maybe you'll get used to it after after you use it a few times, but I have the Hitachi now, and it's the the trigger style and um does it not have a safety thumb depression on the top of it though no, no, okay. Not mine, <laughs> unless I've just done it so many times, I can't remember. You
1: no, know, well, some, some saws have a, a thing where you have to press a button to turn it on. The k has a, a trigger that you have to pull to actually lower the blade. Right. Yeah. And you can do that without turning the saw on. You can just mm-hmm. pull that button in and lower the blade.
2: Yeah. That's what threw me for a loop on when I, when I test drove your k I was like, huh, that's bizarre,
0: yeah. but. To me, it just didn't feel like that great of a learning curve in terms of ergonomics. It just didn't really bother me at all. I, I like it. I think it's fine. Uh, I've gotten used to it. So
2: yeah, just like anything, he'll get used to it.
1: On your on your on your Hitachi, Sean. I mean, do you do you do you use that just for rough cutting,
2: correct? Absolutely. I don't yeah. I don't deal with any finer cuts.
1: Hui on your Bosch glider, do you use that just for rough cuts or if you use it for any final accurate cuts? <sighs>
0: I use, I tried to use it on some final, and I I remember actually emailing you or texting you about this and saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. what, you know, what, what would you do in this sort of situation?
1: (laughs) Get the Capex.
0: I think that was actually one of your responses, but I actually tried to use it on a couple of occasions for final cuts. And, and that's when I noticed that there were issues with the axial glide on my Bosch after it went for the warranty service that seemed to have been... And they seem it seemed to have been alleviated. After
1: that, you know, forget about all the issues you had that they, they took care of. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm asking you is when the saw was working properly, did you trust it to make accurate cuts?
0: No. I didn't trust it enough to make accurate cuts because of what happened previously. I didn't want to get into a situation like, oh, you know, it's all good. Let's try it again. And then something go wrong. And that was like, ah, great. I got to remake that piece. Um, I, I just, I just didn't afterwards. I just didn't trust it afterwards. Um, yeah. I, I
1: know, I know people that have the Bosch glider and they swear by it and they say yeah. it's a great song. And I, 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 I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I've never owned one. All I know is that the, 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 for me, the Capex is the, uh, the bee's knees, the cat's pajamas. Yeah. I,
0: I love amazing. it. I very much am happy that I have it. And the Bosch was a great saw for what I used it for, which was mostly rough cutting. Mind you, what I got was a refurbished saw, uh, you know, a factory refurbished saw. Yeah. So who who knows? I mean, something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it could have been any reason for why that uh, why I had an issue.
2: Now, I will tell you, if I were to spend, what is it, fifteen hundred dollars for a Capex, Ooh, 오, Yeah. If uh, I would expect that thing to be spot on for oh, that yeah. price. And if oh, it yeah. wasn't, I would be highly upset. It is, though. Well, that's fine, but they better be 1500 yeah. <laughs> considering I paid like 389 for my soul. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I hope that helps, Anthony. I don't know. With that, the, the question was up there on the list as an older question, so hopefully you, you haven't made a decision yet <laughs> when you hear this. He's moved on but, to bigger and better things. Yeah, we, we get that question so often. Yeah. So that's why we waited a while to to answer it. And I I apologize for that answer, but hopefully it'll help somebody out there. Uh, I think the next one goes to Sean, right? Yes. All right.
2: So this is from Evan. Have you ever heard of anyone hiring someone for a weekend to come to your house and help make adjustments on multiple machines? My table saw, bandsaw, joiner, and planer all work, but could benefit from someone with experience double checking things and making minor adjustments. I know that every machine has its own quirks, so finding someone that knows my exact models would be difficult. But I feel as though someone with more experience could make a big impact in a short period of time. Any thoughts or suggestions would be greatly appreciated. And you know, I took this question because man, this is this would be such an awesome service to uh, to provide if you could find somebody to do this. Um, you know, when I first started out, I was like. <laughs> am I just this terrible? Is the machine set up right? Is it me? Is it the machine? It's the same thing that you struggle with when you're new and you're like offering and someone's offering the input of buy used hand tools. You're like, you don't know what you don't know in setting up something like a used hand tool is difficult for a a greenhorn. So having someone that could come and you could pay them and come set up your and make sure that all of your tools are, are dialed in would be an amazing service. So, you know, yeah. I was thinking about this. I'm gonna bounce it off of you guys, but I would call your local woodcraft to see or Rockler and see if they know of anyone locally or perhaps if they have meetups that you could join to find someone that way. I would stick to to the wood woodworking places if you have them around you instead of listing on you could try Craigslist, but it's hard to get a feel for that person if if you don't if you yourself don't know a lot about tuning the tools, how you can be sure that someone on Craigslist is going to uh to know what they're doing without someone vouching for them or meeting them at, at a uh, Rockler or Woodcraft. Um, but you know, this is, this is an awesome, awesome thing. If you can find someone that's experienced in your area to, uh, to come and work on your tools now outside of Rockler and Woodcraft and local places like that for meetups, what do you guys suggest?
0: Maybe a local woodworkers guild. We have a North Alabama woodworkers' Guild that I'm able to pass questions along and they have like a form and whatnot. Maybe check out to see if whether or
2: not there's a woodworkers guild around your area. yep, absolutely. guy, do you have any uh tips? You can fly guy in
1: yeah yeah i've I've been actually asked this a couple of times by people mm-hmm. locally here that that found me through Instagram or the website or whatever mm-hmm. and asked me to come over to it i just I just didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, myself, because if, if it's local person here, I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and tell you the reasons why myself I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You're opening up a big can of worms. So let's say I go over and I set up somebody's bandsaw for them. A couple weeks later, it's not working the way it should anymore. So they call me up and I either have to spend time on the phone with them or I got to go back over there again. I'm not going to do that unless you pay me again because they might've changed something.
2: You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's understandable. You know, you, they agree with what you've done before you leave.
1: Yeah. But you know, my, my personality is I'd go over there and I'd say, yeah, okay. So it's going to be, you know, whatever the amount is, let's say a hundred dollars for a couple hours worth of work. Mm -hmm. And I go over there and I'm going to, I'm going to make friends with the guy or gal whoever it is. I'm not Mm going to go in there like it's a business relationship. I'm going over there. I'm going to chat with them for a while. I'm going to become their buddy. And that can be a bad thing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. In that, in that type, in that type of relationship. And that's just because of my personality, because believe it or not, I am a friendly person. (laughs) I know you can't tell from my, my attitude on this podcast, but I am a fairly friendly guy. And I said that for me that's why I, I've had people ask and that's why I haven't done it I didn't I didn't want to get into that type of relationship with somebody sure sure you know I, I guess that would be a good service but there's so many different models of stuff out there you know you'd have to be a real old hand with all this these different types of equipment yeah I know there's a guy here in Fort Wayne. That works on a lot of old vintage machinery. He would he would do it, but you know it's like one hundred and seventy five dollars an hour for him to come out to you, mm-hmm. plus mm-hmm. drive time. So, yeah.
2: you can always check your local guilds, check your local woodworking places, see if they have meetups, and don't hire a guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be such a Debbie Downer there. Well, I really wouldn't know where to find somebody like that you just have to advertise. I, Instagram would be a good place to look, you know, to do mm-hmm. searches on hashtags for your town and woodworking. Maybe there's somebody out there that has a lot of experience and, you know, contact them and start a, start a conversation that way. Yeah.
2: All right, Evan, hope that helps. We. Uh, what is your first question? All right. This question is from Mark and it
0: is another question that's been on our list for quite some time. I don't think any of us have really taken it on because we don't really know that much about it. I'm just going to make that assumption, but let's go for it. Uh, hi guys. Thanks for the great show. I have a chance to buy a secondhand Felder AF 22 dust extractor. It is a 2.2 kilowatt, three horsepower machine, but it has a three phase motor in it. I'm in the UK. Putting in three phase power is prohibitively expensive. Do you have any experience on running a three-phase machine with VFD, preferably an inexpensive Chinese one? And can I use a remote control switch to activate it from my table saw? So yes, I have used a VFD. I have one on my CNC and I also have one on my lathe and it gives me the ability to change the speed of the motor. What I don't have or what I have never done is actually connected a three-phase machine to a VFD and used it to essentially run off of like a single phase power.
1: Well, if your, if your lathe is running off of it, the lathe is a three phase motor. Right. Okay. Well, you said you you hadn't, you hadn't used it, it, it and so is your CNC three phase.
0: Correct. What I should say is I never connected a VFD to a three phase motor. I've always had it like integrated already. Oh, you know, okay. Like when, you, when okay. you like when you buy your lathe or buy your CNC, okay. it's already okay. integrated. Okay. So I couldn't tell you the specifics of how it works because I just don't know. That being said, I did a simple Google search and Amazon search, and there are VFD motor inverters with speed control and with uh, wireless remote control. I, I listed it there. Sean, you might want to include it there. But there are... Remote control switches for VFDs. I believe this might be one that could work.
1: Is it is a is a cheap Chinese one?
0: It's a cheap Chinese one. Yeah, it's two point two kilowatts, and it has a remote control. There's a bunch of Chinese uh, lettering, uh, Chinese characters on it that I don't know what they mean, but uh, Mm -hmm. there is uh, you know English inscriptions on them. So you know, I just don't know enough about it. I do know that there are VFDs out there with wireless remotes and it may work in your situation. I don't know if that helps you any, but uh, but the VFDs that I have used, we have all come attached to the machines and already integrated into the machines that I use. So do you
2: guys have any VFDs in your shops? Um, Absolutely with not. Anything. No. no, I'm, I'm not going to be of any help on this question. VFD free.
1: I, I, have, I have a VFD on my dust collector and it was built into it. Right. And um, I, I I, understand how the VFD works and what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never installed one myself. Now you can also get a rotary phase converter. Right. Uh, which is basically just a separate motor that runs and then converts it to three phase, but those are rel- relatively expensive. They're not yeah. the cheap Chinese ones. Right. So right. I think, I think the answer to Mark's question is absolutely. Yes, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you can get VFDs for, you know, a hundred dollars, give or take. Yeah. And, uh, It'll handle that that two point two kW. If you are going to hook it up to a dust dust collector, and the only reason you are putting it on there, it has a three phase motor. You are going to have the thing cranked up all the way all the time. You are not going to you are not going to change the
0: yeah. I wouldn't think so. So it probably doesn't it. even matter that he's probably is, just going to have it full 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 torque anyway, or full yeah, uh, this,
1: full speed. This yeah. is just a means to an end to get it hooked up so he doesn't have to get three phase power into his home. Right. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it should it should work, Mark. And, you know, like we said, you can get it on Amazon. And Amazon will take anything back. If it doesn't work for you, send it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what have you got to lose, man? Try it out. Just be careful.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm not very good with this technical crap of motors and power and this and that. I think my lathe has a VFD on it. The 1221VS, maybe. Is it
0: using a
2: disc? I, I can, but I have a dial on it as well and, and a readout.
1: It could be, if it's a single oh. phase motor, that could be a, a potentiometer. Yeah. Okay. Not a, cool. not a variable frequency drive. Yeah. Lost
2: me on that one. It's too technical. All I know is I can turn a knob slow it down.
1: Motors, you know, they're, they're either single phase or three phase. Yeah. So you do either have one hot leg or three hot three legs. legs. Yeah. And what the VFD does is it'll take a single hot leg and convert it into three hot legs to go to a a three phase motor. You can't take a VFD and hook it up to a single phase motor.
2: Yeah, then I must be way off on that. That must be some some yeah. other tech some other amazing technology. So
1: all that is is just like a volume control. It's a potentiometer. It just is variable speed yeah um, okay, the same thing you get like if you you have to see those little cheap boxes for like fifty dollars, you can change the speed of your router with it that's all yes it is. yes that's okay. that's all it is i think I think I may be mistaken, but i'm I'm pretty sure that's that's what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> that was an exciting question
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah I had to wake up for that one
0: all right, well, I hope that answers your question, maybe not, but uh but yeah, you can definitely get these uh, VFD uh, controllers with, uh, with a wireless remote. So we'll go ahead and move on to Guy. Guy, you've got uh, your second question.
1: Oh, sweet. This is from the Liberty Craftsman. He doesn't list his name, just the Liberty Craftsman. He's saying, how much time do you spend working on workflow and process in the shop? I am a night and weekend woodworker who is taking commission orders now. I want to assure I maximize my time in the shop to be the most effective. What are some tips, tricks, or source material you might suggest? Maybe Guy can lend an answer to this as he is working in a full-time production shop, and he's also just down the road for me in uh, Noblesville. Oh, cool! Oh, um, I'll see how i see how to get Guy to answer your question. Yeah, mention yeah. men- mention Guy. <laughs> Be a mention guy and be a, be a Hoosier. So for me and my, and my shop here at home, it's a two car garage. And to be honest with you, I don't give a crap about workflow. I've got stuff just fit in where it fits in. Saying that I have to have a dedicated milling area, and then a dedicated area to cut it to size, and then a dedicated area to do this, and it all flows from one end of the shop to the other. It's only 15 feet from one end of the shop to the other. (laughs) I don't need to have efficiency in that. I mean, really. I mean, when you start getting into stuff like this, I I think you need another hobby. Maybe, you know, it's, that's a little, it's a little bit too OCD. Don't worry about it. Get your machines in spots where you, you, they don't have to be, if you're in a garage anyways, where they Mm -hmm. don't have to be moved often, they can be hooked up to power and dust collection 90% of the time. So you can just walk up to a machine and use it. If you've got to walk 15 feet, so be it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh if you're in a larger area like the the, the production shop I'm in, it's over thirty thousand square feet. So yes, we have a lumber area, and yes, we have dedicated mill, and that's the way it works. It starts in the back of the shop where all the lumber is, and if they pull the lumber out, it goes right to the to the to the joiner where we have a sixteen-inch joiner with. Uh, big roller bed extensions on it because we do a lot of long boards. I mean, 10, 12, 14, 16 foot boards. We go there, the planer's right next to it. It goes from the planer to the table saw, gets cut to size. Then we have another set of joiner. We have another joiner and another thickness planer to fine tune it. And then right on the other side of that, 10 feet away is where we have the glue up tables. It gets glued up it gets put in racks that's between the two sides of the shop and pardon um, pardon me my dog is going a, you know what crazy so <laughs> um, they have a rack that sits in between that and the sanding department so they put it there and then it goes through the uh, the wide belt sander to, to you know get it to an even thickness whatever that thickness is. And then it goes to the guys that do the hand sanding. And from there, it goes to the finishing department. It's just a big U. So if you want to look at workflow in your shop, figure out what you're making, what you're doing. And if you've got a large area where you may have, you know, I I don't know what what this gentleman has. He may have a 10,000 square foot thing. He may have, you know, a three-car garage. But even then... I don't, I don't see the, in a smaller shop, I think just convenience of being able to turn on a machine and use it is more important than anything else mm-hmm. without having to move it. If you've yeah, got a very large, a very large area, you know, like 30,000 square feet, you know, in my shop, you know, I've got one of those, I've got one of those, uh, Apple watches that records my steps. Mm-hmm. I walk six to seven miles a day.
0: It's a big shop at
1: at work, yeah, yeah, just walking around because it's it's such a big place. So, anyways, do you guys have any tips or anything you can give this gentleman?
2: As a night and weekend woodworker, you know, back when I did woodworking, it seems to be several months ago.
1: You know, I think you just built a really nice bread box.
2: That's true. It took me about <laughs> seven months, but that's, that's beautiful. Well, thank you night and weekend woodworker, the most important thing to me was to come out to a shop that is somewhat clean that I can get to work. Mm -hmm. I think that at at the end of the day, clean up enough to where you're not going to, you know, have any downtime the next day when you come out there in the shop. And the second thing that I always did is I planned out my entire workflow for the next day. So if I was building a table, I knew the next day I was going to mill a joiner for the legs, cut them to size, hand plane them, route the mortises, cut the tenons, fit the tenons, and then that probably would be all the time that I had that night. I would plan out my day or that my night in the shop so that I didn't have to spend that time doing that when I was off of work, finished eating, go out to the shop. Okay. Now what do I need to do? I did, would. Think, did
1: you think about it or did you actually write it down?
2: On nights when I just had probably an hour or two, I would just think about it on the weekends. I would yeah. make a to-do list. Yeah. Um, punch list kind of thing. thing. Yeah, you got to know what you need to get done, what you're going to do in that time so that you're not having to waste time thinking about it and and rushing and doing stuff out of order. Just be prepared with the limited time that you have.
1: That's actually a pretty good idea. You know, I used to do that uh, when I was doing larger projects in my garage. I would, I would write down, let's say like a punch list like they use in construction. This has to be done. This has to be done. And I didn't put it down in any particular order. And what I did is I was just write down, you know, I, this is the things I need to get accomplished this weekend. And I'd write I write everything down because, you know, I was, I was videotaping at that time too. So I'm filming it for YouTube and I'm writing all this stuff down. And it's okay. Now I've got to figure out how to do it where if, you know, something is gluting up and drying, what can I be doing over here? So that might be a good way to maximize your time in the shop. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make to do lists. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like a to do list. And then you, then you know exactly what you've got to get done.
2: Yeah. That's, that's what I do. Keep it in your head for the weeknights. Cause you don't have much time, but on the weekend I'll write it down because you have more time and, and more opportunity to do stuff out of order, forget to do stuff, especially if you're cutting joinery and you're done for the night and you need to pick that back up and you're not sure if the dado blades already set or whatever, you need to write that stuff down and, and hit the ground running when the limited time that you have.
1: Mm mm-hmm. What about you, Hui?
2: The way
0: I have my machine set up, I have it. I have them set up, maximized for about 90, 80. I don't know what the exact number, but from the majority of the things that I'm doing in the shop. Here's an instance where I have my joiner and planer. If I have a piece that's too long, it's going to hit my miter saw station. But for 90 percent of what I'm doing, which is relatively small to medium furniture pieces, It's perfectly fine. It's about five feet from the joiner head to about, I don't know, I don't know the exact number, but it's about five feet away from the joiner head to the edge of the miter saw station. So it gives me a, a, a situation where I don't have to move the machine a lot of times. That doesn't mean that I don't move the machine. I do. I mean, when I was milling the boards for a dining table that I was making, I had to move the machine because I didn't have enough room for the outfeed of, of the boards coming out of the joiner. But that's a relatively easy fix and I would say just place the machines where they fit and giving you an opportunity where Uh, you're not going to have to move them all the time, a a majority of the time. That's about the only workflow that I really sort of analyze or kind of think in my head is like, oh, well, you know, how much outfeed do I need here so that I can get most of the tasks done? Because like most of us, all of my stuff is on, on rollers, casters, things like that. So I'm able to move them for those projects that are a little bit big. And I think that's pretty much the case for a lot of small shop or garage woodworkers Uh, you know you're going to have to move them at some point because you're going to have those few handful of times where you've just got big projects so think of it that way you know maybe maybe try to find out where it could be parked for a majority of the time and for those times that you do need to move them just make sure that you have a, a method like casters to easily move those machines around
1: fair enough I hope that helps, Mr. Liberty Craftsman. Mr. Liberty know, Craftsman. Yeah. yeah, I don't know your name, Mr. Liberty Craftsman, but I hope yeah, that you gives you it. some, some uh, help there.
2: All right. So the next question goes to Sean. What do you got, man? This is from Carlos at Alberto Woodworks. Long-time listener, first-time writer. Really enjoying your podcast. It is very informative and full of great advice. I have the opportunity to get my hands on some ash trees that will be felled due to the emerald ash borer. I will have these trees slabbed and kiln-dried by a local sawmill. I'm fairly new to woodworking, and I'm primarily a hand-tool user. My question for you guys is, what are your thoughts on using ash to build either a Rubo-style workbench? Hmm, He says either a, he only mentioned one, bench type. Is ash density heavy enough to be used as a workbench? Any feedback is greatly appreciated. So this is coming from somebody that has a Poplar workbench and has had one for probably, I don't know, five or six years. But ash is absolutely fine for a workbench top it's you know it's almost as hard as rock maple and you wouldn't in my opinion notice a difference um it's going to have a a janka scale of 1320 um and hard maples 1450 and the janka hardness a a, a what scale i was getting ready i was getting ready to (laughs) i was getting ready to define it for
1: you i'm setting that up for you i actually know what it is i'm just you know (laughs) yeah
2: The Janka hardness test measures the resistance of a sample of wood to denting and wear. It measures the force required to embed an 11.28 millimeter (laughs) diameter steel ball halfway into a sample of wood. It takes a ball, pushes it into (laughs) the wood to measure the resistance. Uh, Hard maple is 1450. Ash is 1320. Poplar, which is what I use, is 540. And southern yellow pine is 870. So absolutely it is it is heavy and dense enough to use as a workbench top, depending on the type of bench you built. But if you're you know it's definitely hard enough in my opinion. You know a lot of people. Well, let me take that back. Some people uh, want a softer bench so that it doesn't dent your work. And I've also read. I think Jay Bates said he noticed in his uh, hickory workbench that when he was chiseling dovetails, he noticed a bit of uh, I guess feedback from the workbench being so hard. And it was hurting his hands, I think. You know, you're gonna see
1: for six where's, different where's articles. Hickory? Where's Hickory on the Jenkins? I didn't thing? look. I didn't look. We use a lot of hickory, man. That's that stuff's like it's really hard. Hard. Yeah. Really hard.
2: Yeah. So if you read six articles, you're gonna get six different answers, but ultimately, uh ash is definitely heavy enough, dense enough, hard enough for a workbench top. Again, I use poplar and have for for five years. It's beat up. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's heavy enough. It's uh served its purpose. It's not as pretty as some of the finer workbenches out there, but you know, if poplar is hard enough, I'm pretty sure ash is going to be hard enough. Uh wait, what did you make your do you, what your workbench out of southern yellow pine? The the base is made out of southern yellow pine, uh,
0: but the top is made out of maple, soft maple, which is really not that I mean it's called soft maple because it's softer than sugar maple, but it's really not that soft. I'm fairly happy with it. I think it's almost equivalent in hardness to ash. Ash might be a little bit harder. I don't know.
2: Silver maple at 700 uh,
0: LBF. I got what was cheap at the time. Uh, Just get what's readily available. I probably me personally, I probably wouldn't use like pine because I think it's a little bit too soft, but I know a lot of people that have and been perfectly happy with it. Um,
2: Well, what what Version of pine are you talking about?
0: Like southern yellow pine or Douglas fir. I, I know several people that have made workbenches out of that. I mean, Jay Bates being one of them. Now, I think he actually used construction grade lumber, which I don't know. I don't believe all construction grade lumber is pine.
1: Well, the 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 the, the pine is has SPF on it. Yeah, which is spruce pine, pine fir. fir. Yeah. When you, when you go to the stores up here and. We up north here. We don't have southern yellow pine. Mm-hmm. They've got regular construction grade two by fours, which is the SPF stuff, and then you can buy dug Fir. right? right. Um, which is about two to three times as as much. Mm-hmm. Jay, I think. Jay, I think Jay's bench was southern yellow pine. It is yeah.
2: southern yellow pine, and that's a yeah. Janka of eight seventy, which is harder than my poplar. So I absolutely would use southern yellow pine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think southern Illinois pines cool. Uh what what's yours? Yours is made out of ash, right, guy?
1: My little workbench is made completely out of ash, the base and the top. And yeah. it's rock solid. It's it's a small bench. It's only I want to say 40 inches long by like almost it's oh it's over 40. It's maybe like 45 inches long. By thirty inches wide, it's it's really small. But I've got a vise on it, and a big base, and a um, cabinet underneath it. You can't move it. It's yeah. it's 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 a it's a piece of granite in my shop. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. I don't have any problem with it at all. I pound on that thing. There's some dents and dings in it. You know, I've had it. I built it probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been it's been great. I haven't had any problems at all. Um, I think I bought $200 or 200 board feet. I bought eight quarter. I bought 200 board feet of ash to build it. And at that time, I was paying like $4 a board foot. So I spent like $800 for the wood for it, Sure, which, which wasn't bad. I don't mm-hmm. think it's bad. No, I don't think and, so And, uh, I built it pretty quick. So, yeah. um, but yeah, the ash has been fine. It is hard. Um, was it so, cheaper than, than maple at the time? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Soft maple is actually more expensive than hard maple mm-hmm. here anyways. Yeah. Um, I did not want to use hard maple simply because it's a pain in the ass to work with.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Indeed try to avoid hard
1: maple whenever possible.
0: Here are soft. Well, at least right now, soft maple is just slightly cheaper than ash. Um, and it is slightly cheaper than hard maple.
1: That's a different area. Yeah. Yeah.
2: i tell you the hardest lumber I've ever used is Jatoba. It's at 2350. Man, that stuff is like planing rock.
1: Twenty three fifty hickory is
2: eighteen twenty. If that tells you anything, and this stuff was like planing
1: rock. Yeah, I am so I am so over working on hickory. I just hate it. It's never it's used heavy. It. I mean, we everything we build in the shop is all eight quarter. So you got to imagine, you know, we some of these tables we're building are 14 feet long, inch and a half thick, you know, three, four feet wide. We've got these big ass long boards. We got us, I mean, they're heavy. And it, we just finished an order where we had, I think it was like 38 10 foot tables. 38? 38. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was that was part of a 140 table order ah yeah yeah kept you busy for a while let's say yeah and it was all hickory all of it we're so over using hickory right now it was was the biggest order we've ever filled if you look at my instagram i took pictures of it before we loaded it on the four delivery trucks that took two runs to take it yeah that's an impressive amount amount of furniture Wow. but that stuff is so damn heavy and that's the other thing to consider too you know if you're, you're you know you're an old old fart like me i don't want to be messing around with this really super heavy wood to build this big bench especially a rubo bench you know they're they're pretty big that stuff's heavy man yeah you, you don't have the ash is much lighter and it's you know and sean's numbers show it's almost as hard as the other stuff so yeah and it should be cheaper than the maple too yeah. so there you go
2: yep well hopefully that helps let us know what you end up going with but i'm gonna bet you go with that ash yeah <laughs> well we uh what's your last question with this
0: all right this question is from anthony i am a novice woodworker with a focus on medieval furniture for the house and camp as my wife are part of a living history group. That's pretty cool. We are looking for our first house. I would like to have one area of the house for a workshop. I use quite a few power tools in my work now and will hope to get a table saw and drill press after the house. I know I should be concerned with ventilation and dust collection, which will be determined by where in the house the workshop is, but I am hoping for it to be in the garage. I was wondering what else should we be looking for in a workshop space when house hunting? You know, outside of the obvious answers of, you know, get as much space as you can and all these other things that, you know, if money wasn't an object, you would have a 15,000 square foot shop with, you know, tons of insulation and, you know, heating and cooling. I'm going to just talk about things because I am Currently in the process of building a house, that I think are relatively obtainable or things that you could look for in a house and say, "Hey, that that's going to just make things a lot easier." And one that I can think of is having enough room or enough space in your in your breaker box for two twenty outlets and maybe some a couple of extra one hundred and twenty volt outlets for the garage. I bought an older home; my house was built in nineteen sixty six, and I literally have Enough space for only two, two twenty volt lines out in my shop. That's about it. I cannot put any more into my breaker box unless I call an electrician and get another um, uh, sub panel out in the garage, which is you know going to cost me a lot more money, and I don't want to invest in that. Especially considering since we're moving out of it, I'd like to get some of your, you know, you know, Sean or Guy, your input in terms of what you think if money. Is an object. What are some things that you would have to look for and say? You know what, I really, really need a garage to have this in order to make it a a, a usable workshop space. Because I don't think it's fair—at least in (laughs) most people's case—to say, "Oh, money is not an object." So you know, find the biggest space you can. What are What are some things that are are maybe some non-negotiables for for a garage workspace for you?
2: Um, Maybe ceiling height. I mean, other than power if you're looking at a, a place already built, I mean, you're going to be limited on what you can get, you know, cause mm-hmm. not every house is built to be a wood shop. So maybe, you know, you don't want something that's got low ceilings, perhaps. Um, the obvious things are, you like to have it be insulated, but yeah. I, again, you're, you're picking from, if you're picking from a house that's already built. Well, that's my question. Are, are we talking about if you're, if he's building or if he's buying
1: there's a there's a lot of variables and a lot of questions I have that we just don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna say ceiling height.
0: I'm I'm assuming that he's looking for one that maybe is already built. I don't know.
2: All um, right, I'll, I'll take that's my that's my final answer. Is I'll leave a little bit meat on the bone for guy.
1: <laughs> my final
2: answer is ceiling height yeah. for 500.
1: Um, you know, it's 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 that's a question. That's very hard to answer because a we don't know a lot of the details, but also b we don't know exactly what you're building, I and mean, we've got a general idea. You 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 mentioned some of the stuff, but it, 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 there's not a lot of specificity to it.
2: Mm-hmm. I was
1: just I've just been trying to say specificity all day, so I thought I'd throw that in there. Nice, it's, a, it's an awesome word. Sure. So, huh? With without that amount of specificity, twice actually I said it about four times now anyways so it's very hard to say you know look for this or look for that or look for this i think you really need to sit if if it, if it's going to be that big of a part of the house buying decision you need to sit down and figure out what's important to you because you might only need a one car garage you might need a four car garage right you might, I don't know what part of the country you're living in. It may need to be insulated. It may not need to be insulated. It, you know, it, it there's just so much going on there. You know, the, the, the things, the questions that I, if, if I was moving now, mm-hmm. these are the things that I would ask myself is how much room do I need to put all the equipment that I need to build the things that I want to build, right? All the other stuff. Is secondary to me, you know. The insulation, the electrical, the mechanicals, or the heating and cooling—that's all secondary because that's all stuff that even in a house that's built already, you can put in later. Mm-hmm. I'd be more worried about the physical size and make sure it's 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 enough for what I need it to do. And especially if it's a garage, you know, are you do you have to share the the are you going to have to share it with cars? Yeah. You know, that's the situation I have at home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the questions you have to ask yourself.
0: Let me ask you guys this Do you guys have any like lawn equipment or yard tools in your garage? I, I do have a, a single rake. <laughs> so where do you where do you because uh, sean you were mentioning that uh you, you had to mow your lawn before we started
2: the podcast where do you where do you store your lawnmower and stuff like here that? here's the thing uh it, my my parents my dad has a building out back and and being a fantastic son that i am i bought a brand new lawnmower brand new weed eater brand new blower and i'm like you know what you just keep that at your house i'll come over in the truck and get it when i need it So I keep it, I keep it at their house. And then when it's time I go get it, Mo, take it back. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow.
0: Wow. Wow. Where I live,
2: we're not allowed to have buildings in the back, like sheds or whatever. So it's like. That sucks. It's not that long of a drive, you know, and just throw it in the back of the truck, Mo, take it back. Where do you store your yard equipment,
0: lawn equipment guy? Is it in the garage?
1: I've got some stuff in the garage, you know, the stuff that my 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 wife is really into the whole gardening thing, mm-hmm. not like vegetable garden, but you know the, the flower beds that we have. Sure. So we keep some stuff in the garage. She's got two cabinets that I that I built these cabinets, and she one of these cabinets is hers, mm-hmm. where she keeps all her stuff in there, and then I've got wall space dedicated to. You know the rakes and the shovels and the weed eater and the the blower and the the hedge trimmers and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. where it hangs on the wall Mm -hmm. but i also have the largest building i am allowed to have as an outbuilding on my property which is a 10 by 12 Mm -hmm. and in there i keep a lot of crap that i should throw out but also in there is my power sprayer my edge trimmer you know the edger yep yep lawnmower and 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 i have a riding lawnmower that goes in there
0: yeah i have the same and that made a big difference when i got uh an outbuilding i guess you would call it an outbuilding it's a shed but it's a 10 by 10 and that made a huge difference of having space in the shop so maybe maybe one thing i might suggest is uh don't uh don't live in an area with an hoa that prohibits you from having a shed because that might
1: yeah i've seen some of like some of those sheds that uh we're getting way off into the weeds yeah we are but but they have they have have some of those sheds i've seen it like Lowe's that they have out in front of them yeah they have some of that they're pretty damn big they're like 15 by 20 Mm-hmm. that's like that's like a one car garage and they're not that expensive no no so if you're in a a, a a more rural area where you're not in an hoa you can put up a building like that pretty cheap
2: yeah just saying yeah, yeah yeah
1: so anthony when you're choosing
2: how for a shop look for one with the building too
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that wraps up the show. Uh, please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife, life and make sure you include your name. So we know who it is. It's asking us. And,
1: and if you compliment guy, oh, gosh. you'll probably get your questions read by Guy.
2: There you go. Both there your is. questions this week. 100% right. Success right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's more on the list too. Oh, wow. Well, I've, had, people, I've people. had to delete them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> look, look, people, we don't want his head getting too large, okay? Yeah.
0: Um, we would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website, Guy, where can we find you?
1: Um, guyswoodshop.com.
2: And Sean, where can we find you? You can find me at simplecove.com. All of my ICQ and AOL Instant Messenger addresses are on there, <laughs> along with my social media links.
1: I thought, I thought you were going to give us your uh, – oh, what the hell is the name of that social media thing? That's The internet? No, before Facebook – MySpace. My
0: space. MySpace. <laughs> MySpace.
1: No, I'm holding
2: on to that one. That's uh, going to be the next gold mine for uh, woodworkers. There you go. There you go.
0: All right. Thanks for listening. And um, guys, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. See we'll you see later. You.